and welcome to the first ever Spiro Avenue podcast. You know, normally I'm going to use this opening segment to dive right into whatever the topic of the day is. There's going to be so much to cover, especially over these next couple weeks. Today is a little special. It is our first show after all. So today I'm going to introduce not just a topic, I am going to introduce myself. I am, as I said, Justin Spiro. I'm a happily married father to a beautiful daughter, a son to a pair of wonderful parents, and a friend to some wonderful people. I went to Michigan State University, and I care far too much about the fortune of their teams. I went to law school in Chicago, and I care way too little about property law and habeas corpus. I'm going to tell you why I'm sitting here today, and I have a number of reasons, but there's one chief among them. But first, let me tell you, there are two types of reactions people have to the news cycle in 2017. There's really only two. You seldom see the third or the fourth. First, you have the hair on fire crowd. These are the people who sit on Twitter all day and refresh Donald Trump's Twitter feed, just hoping for some reason to get upset, some reason to go crazy, some reason to say that the world is coming to an end. Many of these people are even paid to do this. This is true. And a lot of people don't realize there are people that are paid to essentially sit on Twitter and comment on Donald Trump all day. Welcome to 2017. Now, I'll be the first to admit, President Trump sticks his foot in his mouth more than his fair share of the time. Way too much, and frankly, it drives me nuts half the time. But look at his social media accounts. Today, he offered to help a 10-month-old child with a terminal illness overseas. The first two responses from people were, go to hell and stop sucking up to Russia. This is in response to the President of the United States offering to help a sick 10-month-old child. This is the level of hate that Donald Trump creates. And this is the type of reaction we see. It doesn't matter what happens. Everything is the worst. This guy needs to burn in hell. That's the first type. Tell you about the second type. The second type which is frankly almost worse, is just total indifference. The President of the United States, who was at that time just a nominee, mocking a disabled person on national television and then denying it. What did you get? You got a lot of the outraged crowd. Frankly, I didn't like it all too much, but you also had the other half of people that said it was no big deal or that he didn't do it or everyone's overreacting. This is nothing. It is a big deal. If someone running for the President of the United States who ended up winning is mocking a disabled person. So that's the second type. You get the people that are essentially nihilist, that they don't care. So you look at the contrast. You have the people that everything is the worst thing they've ever seen. And then you get the people that just excuse everything. This is what you see in the country today. You got the half that think Donald Trump's an evil fascist, and you got the half that think he's making America great again. There's no in-between, and you declare sides or you are the enemy. And I saw this myself. I didn't vote for Trump or Hillary, and I had both sides giving me crap for it. So this is, this is America today. Now, there's a third type of reaction that anybody can have to any news cycle. And it is not really a reaction at all. Anybody can react. I have a 15, 15-month-old baby. She can react. Okay, monkeys. Monkeys can react. Anything can react. Inanimate objects can react to being swatted. I'm not going to sit here and react every time I hop on this microphone. You can get that from every bozo on Twitter who's telling you that Donald Trump, whatever he said today, is going to be the next cause of nuclear winter. You can get that elsewhere. I'm also not going to give you indifference because a lot of things in in life matter. A lot of the news cycle matters. Even in sports, things matter. Jobs affected. Even so much as you care about entertainment. 
What I'm going to give you is analysis, not reactions. It's my job to wade through all this nonsense and get to the facts of the story. We will take things apart bit by bit and get to the truth. We will neither shrug things off nor pull the fire alarm. That doesn't mean the show will be void of emotion. I'm going to pick my spots, though. Emotion is part of life. There's things that you should get emotional about. I'm not going to get emotional over everything. I'm going to look at things analytically and deeply, and I'm going to tell you what I think anyway is the truth and whether or not this story matters as much as some people claim that it does. Not every news cycle is a reason to go jump off a building. So with that said, I do thank you for joining us on this adventure. It is the first episode of the Spiro Avenue podcast. It's been uh, a crazy couple of weeks in particular, uh, getting the studio done, and I am excited to be with you today and into the future, hopefully for many, many years. It is an exciting day for me to get started, and with that, I am going to move to the first of many stories we will be so analytical and thoughtful and probing about. And this is our first story at SpiroAvenue.com. And this is a story that was really coming together the last couple of weeks. It would have been up uh, a little bit earlier had the website been ready. And this is the bottom line of the story. And I, I'm just going to give you the most important points. The story's rather long. Chris Illich, new owner of the Detroit Tigers, has apparently had designs on selling the baseball club since at least the summer of 2016. Now this flies in the face of what we heard from Jeff Seidel, who reported uh, that Chris Illich had no intention of selling, or at least that's what he had heard from his friends. And the reason was something along the lines of Jeff, uh, Jeff Seidel said Chris Illich is the, the manager of a youth league baseball team and likes playing catch with the kids or something of that nature. So that was Jeff Seidel's story. Chris Illich wasn't going to sell based on that for some reason. Simply not the case. Chris Illich will be selling this team, and that is the nature of our story. Now, where did this start? Let's, let's back it up. June 22nd of 2016, so last summer, Chris Illich is meeting with Tom Gores right next door to Comerica Park in an office to go over the plans for Little Caesars Arena and how it can be adapted to accommodate Tom Gores' Detroit Pistons basketball team. At that point, Gores was not officially on board. He was interested in moving from the Palace, but that was not a done deal. And Chris Illich was essentially trying to woo him to join the Red Wings in the new arena downtown. Meeting went very well. It was the first extended time that Chris Illich had ever spent with Tom Gores. They had a few, from my understanding, uh, brief interactions in the past, you know, been at the same uh, cocktail party, so to speak. Meeting went well. Chris, who is, uh, from what I've heard, not a guy that loves a lot of people, keeps a pretty tight circle, and also uh, there's some people that don't love Chris so much, from what I've heard. Um, well, that's a story for another day, but Tom and Chris get along great at this meeting on June 22nd. Tom Gores finds out from Chris that Mike and Marion are in their private box at the Tigers-Mariners game right next door and would like to go meet the parents. So that's, that's what Tom Gores does. So Tom Gores goes next door with Chris Illich. They meet Mike and Marion in their private box watching the game sometime, I think, in the fourth or fifth inning, according to Vince Ellis' report uh, that came out in September or November of last year. Um, so they have, they have a great meeting. So now Tom Gores has met the entirety of the, the Illich empire, essentially. Gets along great. They love him. 
He loves them, and it's wonderful. So this started into motion a relationship between Tom Gores and Chris Illich, who is now calling the shots after Mike's passing this past February, where now Chris Illich is eyeing Tom Gores as a potential buyer for the, for the Detroit Tigers. Now, we've known for a while, and this is something that my former coworker Jeff Moss has reported on in the past, we've known for a while that Chris Illich wants to sell this franchise. That's been sort of the word. But what I thought was so interesting about this was not only the confirmation of that from two different sources in that camp, but it was also why Chris Illich wants to sell specifically to Tom Gores or someone in that model, which would basically be only Dan Gilbert. And you have to look at why does Chris Illich want to make that move. Chris Illich wants to sell to Tom Gores because Tom Gores is a guy that he can sell, that Chris Illich can sell to the public as him not turning his back on the town. Chris Illich was described by one of the two sources that knows him very well as a guy that does not want to be an invisible billionaire. This is a guy that wants to be important in town. He likes having a profile. He likes being somebody that's important. And if he goes and just sells the Tigers and the Red Wings, the entirety of Olympia Entertainment, even if he kept Little Caesars, that would not satisfy the profile that he desires from what I'm told. Doesn't mean he'll never sell the whole thing, but he does not want to sell out completely, and he wants to keep the Red Wings but sell the Tigers to someone that won't get people upset. Now, if Chris Illich sells the Detroit Tigers to seven investors from Texas that no one's ever heard of, no one knows, maybe two of them have some shady oil deals with the Bush family from 1993, I don't know. But if they go that route, Chris Illich is going to hear about it from the public, and let me tell you, Chris Illich cares what people think, a lot more than Mike Illich ever cared. Okay, and that's something that you have to understand when you understand the machinations of this. So Chris Illich wants Tom Gores to buy this team. And what's more interesting, this topic has been broached twice between the two parties. From what I'm told, Chris Illich spoke with Tom Gores about it informally, didn't say, hey, Tom, I'm selling, but, you know, said we're looking at at maybe downsizing the empire, what have you. Obviously, I'm paraphrasing. I wasn't in the room. And Tom Gores did not dismiss it. Tom Gores left it on the table. So I think that's interesting. I think that says a lot. Now let's look at the Detroit Tigers as an asset. Okay, Forbes valued them at uh, about $1.2, $1.3 billion less than a year ago. Now Forbes valuations are not always spot on. They typically are quite a bit off from the actual sale price in the end. But let's just go with the $1.2, $1.3 billion figure. The Detroit Tigers have lost money six of the last nine seasons. Attendance at Comerica Park has dropped for five consecutive seasons, and what you have is a bloated payroll coupled with dwindling attendance. That's not a good combination for a bottom-line guy like Chris Illich. That's a toxic combination. Chris Illich ain't his dad, guys. Okay, Mike Illich was the captain of that ship during this past decade when they were losing money two out of three years. And those other three out of the nine weren't so hot either close to even maybe a little bit in the green okay Chris isn't Mike Chris looks at this as a business asset he is the sole trustee of this trust and if you're Chris Illich and you're looking at these numbers and this organization is losing money almost every year you're not going to hang around too long so sure the Detroit Tigers are worth a bunch Forbes says so okay They're worth over a billion dollars, almost a billion and a half dollars. That's great. 
this asset's losing money. And that's what matters. Who cares what it's worth? Who cares? If you're losing money, who cares? Okay. So don't focus too much on the valuation and wallet. He would never part with that asset. It's a, it's a losing asset as currently constructed. And that drives Chris Illich nuts. I promise you that. And you have to remember, too, when you're the trustee and the sole trustee in charge of an empire this size, where you have, make no mistake, dozens of family members that are dependent on this family for their livelihood. Either they work in the company, some, from what I've heard, don't work at all. They just get the check every month, no complaints. When you are in charge of that big of a group of people and you're responsible for that, and you have a huge asset that you can liquidate tomorrow for over a billion dollars, and that asset's losing money, I don't think Chris is so crazy for wanting to sell. And I think the fans agree with Chris that he should sell. So that's something to keep in mind. So Chris Illich is not Mike. Mike does... Mike had a passion for this baseball team and for the sport that Chris could never match. And you know what? That's not Chris's fault. I don't even blame Chris. Okay, you're either born with it or you're not. Chris is no dummy. You know, say what you want about him. You can call him cheap. You can call him aloof. You can call him insecure. Chris isn't stupid. Okay? Mike would not have... Mike had a lot of options. Mike had many kids. Mike had many smart grandkids. Mike chose Chris for a reason. Now, there's only one Mike Illich, and Chris is not Mike, but Chris is no dummy either. And Chris is looking at this asset, and he is looking for a way out, not just for himself, but for the family that he has been put in charge of. And Mike told him, you're the new guy. you got to take care of things. You know, you're the Don. So make no mistake, Chris Illich is looking at the bottom line, and the bottom line is not good. And it's only going to get worse with this team starting to bottom out. Attendance was going down before this thing got so bad. Now it's really bad. It's going to continue. Now let's look at the effect on the Tigers. This team is in an effective freeze at this point. I reported back uh, late April, early May, that Al Avila wanted to make a trade for a reliever, and one of the guys they were talking about, one of my personal favorites despite 2013 and the pitch to David Ortiz, Joaquin Benoit on a Phillies team that basically signed him just to trade him for a prospect at the deadline. I mean, that was why they signed the guy in the first place. Al Avila wanted to get Joaquin Benoit on the Detroit Tigers to help fix the bullpen. Benoit was making, or is making, $7.5 million this year. Chris Illich told him, no, can't do it. Wouldn't approve it. He said, you know, you, you want to go get a piece, you got to get a low-salary guy. Well, I'll tell you what, there's not cheap... I mean like $2 million cheap or less, good relievers out there that teams are trading. This is not going to happen. That guy's not out there. So we already have seen this team. They have kept a lame duck manager in Brad Ausmus, something that is pretty rare in sports these days, especially when the it's not like Brad Ausmus is year-to-year like Jim Whelan where, oh, he might retire. I mean, this is a guy ostensibly, I guess, in the prime of his managerial career, whatever you think of that, Okay. So you look at what they're doing. They're, they will not approve a trade for a reliever to fix the bullpen. They will not part ways with their lame duck manager. Who? What reason do you have to keep them? What reason do you have to keep Brad Ausmus? This team is in an effective freeze for all intents and purposes. They're not going to do anything drastic that is, is going to add payroll, certainly. And they're not trying to restructure anything. So the future of this organization, it's pretty unclear at this point. And it brings us back to Tom Gore's. Would Tom Gores be a better replacement? Look, anyone that actually wants to own the team 
is better than just about anybody that doesn't want to own it. So I don't know if Tom Gores would be the best owner in the world. But if Tom Gores wants the team, I'll take that over Chris Illich, who doesn't want the team. Because you see what happens if, if this guy doesn't want it. it. You know, if I give you, if I give my kid a toy that she doesn't want, she's not going to play with it. Okay? Chris Illich was given this gift. He doesn't want to play with it. He's, he's leaving it to the side. Just leave it alone. He's not tearing it down or building it up. It's just kind of sitting in the corner collecting dust. This team is in limbo. And as long as they're in limbo, the fan experience is going to suffer. There's no way around it. So, yes, I, I do think if Tom Gores is interested, and I don't know, I, I, I would love to sit here and say, yeah, I got sources in the Tom Gores camp. I don't. I reached out to them. They didn't respond. Reached out to them three times, in fact. And I didn't expect them to respond, and if they did, I was expecting a generic answer, but I did my best. I don't have anything for you guys on that end. But what I do know is that Chris Illich wants to sell the Detroit Tigers and is hopeful that it'll be Tom Gores or potentially, I guess, Dan Gilbert, a local guy born and raised in the area with local ties, with business, a guy that everybody knows. That's the easy play for Chris Illich. So I'm going to move to move aside from that issue onto the next story, which I'm not going to spend too much time on because I think it's been beaten to death, quite frankly. But I would be remiss with what's going on with the other Mike Illich, or I should say Chris Illich property. I would be remiss if I didn't tackle it at least a little bit, and that's Ken Holland. And look, I'm not going to get into an entire autopsy of this carcass of a franchise because, frankly, I need about 29 corners in my corner to make a proper diagnosis for what killed this team. There are so many things that I could say. I could spend 12 hours telling you how Ken Holland has deconstructed the finest franchise in sports and made them an unmitigated disaster. I could spend hours. But I just want to focus on one, and it is the latest, and that is the signing of a 33-year-old defenseman named Trevor Daly, previously of the Pittsburgh Penguins, signed for three years, a little bit under $10 million. Now, first, uh, before I comment on it, I'm going to play Ken Holland's thoughts on this signing. Certainly, he was at the, the top of our list. I mean, obviously, when you went to free agency, you know, you need to have, like, plan A and plan B and plan C because uh, there's a lot of teams in the market and a lot of teams targeting similar players. But, but certainly, Trevor Daly, Daly was a player that we felt was going to be uh, a, a real good addition to our hockey club. Okay, a real good addition to what end? What are you trying to accomplish? So, I mean, that, it, it all matters. It depends what you're trying to do. If you have a, a team that was first place in their conference last year, like the Chicago Blackhawks, and they signed Trevor Daly, you might say, you know what? They needed a defenseman that's a solid pickup. He's got a lot of playoff experience. He can skate, yada, yada, yada. That's, that's fantastic. Wonderful. Good job, Chicago. I'm happy for you. But when you're the Detroit Red Wings, you know, what it's, you know what it says to me? It says that this organization remains as much as ever in denial. It's denial about the status of this organization. They do not understand where they stand. This is a team that needs to be scrapped, scraped. They need to be bulldozed like the arena they just left. When you sign a 33-year-old defenseman pushing 34 to a multi-year deal, three-year deal, what does that tell you? Ken Holland's just trying to save his job. Ken Holland wants to get 
an extension because he's a lame duck just like Brad Ausmus across the street. And is that what you want with this team? What are they doing? There is no worse place to be than in no man's land as a franchise, and that is frankly where the Pistons are. That'll be another show. But that's where the Red Wings live right now. And when you make these signings, it's a stupid plug. It doesn't make any sense. And Holland said in a different interview, he said, quote, Trevor just won two Stanley Cups with the Pittsburgh Penguins. This is what we're trying to add to this team. Who cares? Who cares that he won Cups? Kirk Maltby won Cups. There's a lot of crap players that won Cups. Now, I think they always a better player than Kirk Maltby ever was. But what does that even mean? I'm, I'm so tired of... Uh, this guy won somewhere, so he's, he's going to like bring his Stanley Cup ring into the locker room, and it's going to rally the troops. No one cares, okay? My best friend in the world, a pro hockey player, has played with guys that have won cups. Trust me. <laughs> I asked him if that carries any weight. He said, you know, if it's Joe Sackick, sure. You know, if Joe Sackick comes in the room and he's got the gold medals, sure. But no one cares about the fourth defenseman who won a cup. No one cares. Okay, if you won the Conn Smythe, they care. No one cares that Trevor Daly won a cup. No one in that locker room cares. So, so Ken Holland can talk about how that's going to help the culture of the locker room, and this is a guy with the, the experience and the seasoning that we need. Guys, that's what they're telling you to make you like the signing more. That has no bearing on how the signing will play out. It has no bearing on the locker room. No one in that locker room gives one hoot in hell. Trust me. So what do we have? Yet another aging player on a multi-year deal, and the rebuild is just never going to happen. And that's what you have with this franchise. So I'm going to move into, and I'm actually really excited for this. This is going to be a regular segment how we sort of wrap up this show. And this is, in in its essence, this website and this podcast is going to be, to a large extent, media criticism. And we're going to look at what people in the media, specifically the Detroit media, although sometimes we'll venture off, what they're saying, whether or not it makes any sense whatsoever, and we're going to break it down. And one thing that I, I've caught myself doing way too much over the years, and I, I was as bad of an offender as anybody at the Detroit Sports Rag about this, I, I just ripped everybody. And, and that was something I tried to get away from really the last couple years. Uh, there's, there are good reporters out there. And there's not as many <laughs> of, the, of the good ones as there are the bad ones, but they're out there. So this is a nice little segment where I'm going to break it up. Every, every time we come on these airways, so to speak, we're going to tell you who's a winner in town this week and who's a loser. And I was a little gimmicky, sure, but the reason I'm doing this is I want to say, you know, for every terrible thing I say about a member of the media, I'm going to say something nice, too, about one of them. So... This is maybe the biggest surprise of all, and maybe the biggest surprise of 2017, frankly, in my entire life, that Jeff Rieger is the first winner that I will ever introduce on this show. But I thought Jeff made a great point on the air a few days ago on 97 won the ticket. And again, I hate to go too much into politics. It won't normally be the case, but they were talking about the Golden State Warriors and whether or not they should go see Donald Trump at the White House after they won the NBA championship. And there was this big controversy about whether a a, a guy should have the right to protest or not, whether he should protest or not, if he doesn't like the president, yada, yada, yada. Now, look, 
if I win, I don't care who the president is, I'm going. And I may, may not even shake the president's hand. I may be that tough guy. But I want to go and just look at the paintings on the wall. Not many people get to walk in the Oval Office. I want to, like, you know, put my feet on the carpet or something. I mean, you know, look at that desk where, you know, John John was crawling under JFK's legs. I mean, come on. Who wants to pass that up? So I would go. But if someone else doesn't want to go, who cares? There are people that are bleeding from their ears over certain athletes that have declined the invitation. Who gives a crap? Why does it matter? And that's what Jeff said. Roll it. Way more than that, y- though. Y- you know what's This cute. is the most divisive president that we've ever had. But hold on. It's had, not even I about the anyway. president, though. It's about what you want to do. It's not do. about the president. It's just stop with the, well, I got invited. How many places in the world do you get invited to say, <laughs> I must go to that because I got invited? What if I want to go surfing that day? It's not about the president. It's about it's what you want to do. So what? They're making Jeff, it about the president. Jeff, it shouldn't li- be about the president, okay. but they're making well, it about the okay, president. Well, if you I don't do care that. if it's Obama or Trump. If you're invited, go. Hey, Have some respect and go. You know one of the right you have in this country the right to protest and if you don't like what's going on and if you don't like it then don't go if that's your right spot on i'm bravo jeff rieger you say about two smart things every six months and you nailed it jeff good for you i'm i'm proud of jeff i believe me we were show prepping yesterday i couldn't believe jeff was the first winner that i picked i was shocked but it was the thing i liked the most from the past few days it really was I, there was so much outrage, and it goes back to our intro, so much outrage over these people. How could you do this? It's so disrespectful. If people did that to Obama, blah, it's, just let it go. Who cares? You know what? If you win the NBA championship or do anything in your life that warrants an invitation from the president, whomever it is, to go to the White House, you get to make that decision. Welcome to America. And look, if you spend more than 10 seconds mad at someone for not going, man, you're in this life for all the wrong reasons. All the wrong reasons. Makes no sense. Now, <laughs> I, this is going to be, I have to I have to work diligently. The loser for this segment is Anthony Fennick. Now, I need like a, a quota, a limit on how much I bring this guy up in this segment because it's going to be a problem persistently. I could choose him every time, frankly. For my money, Anthony Fennick is, I would say, the definitely the worst writer in town right now. Yeah, he's not a broadcaster. So if we're going to break it off into that, I think Anthony Fennick is the worst writer from a technical standpoint and also just what he says. I mean, it, look, my least favorite of all time is Michael Rosenberg. Michael Rosenberg could write a little bit. I mean, he thought he was a funny guy. You know, he's somewhere beneath lupus on the funny scale. But, you know, at least he could write. Anthony Fennick is the perfect combination of uninteresting, a poor technical writer, and just kind of stupid. I, mean, I, hate, I hate to say it. I don't want to make personal insults to the poor guy, but he's just not a bright guy. And this is the latest example. He wrote an article with the headline, Ex-Tigers closer Francisco Rodriguez impact on the young bullpen to be missed. Now, this was essentially a postmortem after K-Rod left the team unwillingly after he was unceremoniously released. This was a postmortem on this poor bullpen and these young arms that are going to be deprived of the sage K-Rod and the way he laced up his shoes and in, in the stall before the game. It, it's This is antiquated nonsense. This is an entire article dedicated to the antiquated notion that veteran players serving as mentors has any value whatsoever. 
very rare cases where it matters. Very rare. And again, it's just like the Trevor Daly thing. We're going to bring in a guy that won cups. We're going to bring in a guy with 400 saves. And he's going to show them how to go about their business. Who cares? The athletes don't care. Look, if the athletes don't care, you shouldn't care. And I'm telling you, they don't. I'm going to quote Fennec here. He says, quote, What the Tigers have lost are the tutorials for their young relievers who saw up close and personal how one of the best closers of all time went about his business. This is perpetuating a myth, people. It's the myth that proximity to greatness somehow equals greatness. This myth is why every assistant coach in Duke basketball history, ever since Coach K got there, gets a job. Guess what? They ain't Coach K. There's only one Coach K. Most of them have been disappointments. Look, I can sit in a room with Bill Gates for 5,000 days and watch him work and maybe even give some notes to an intern. I'm not forming a multi-billion dollar corporation. Proximity to greatness does not equal greatness. And, you know, you want to talk about K-Rod was teaching these guys how to get ready before a game, how to go through a routine. Okay, that's great. You know why this is nonsense? Look at the results on the field. Yet again, this team is 29th in bullpen ERA. Guys, there's 30 teams. 29th out of 30 is really bad. And there's a pretty good gap before you hit 28. They're eight games out of first place at the time this column was written. Eight games out of first place. They have the second worst bullpen in baseball, not just by ERA, which is a flawed metric especially, especially for bullpen, but by any metric. They're at the bottom. So you can say K-Rod has missed and the guys missed the veteran presence with the 7,000 saves, all that nonsense. Look, how does this play out in practice? Does it actually matter? No, it doesn't. So this is the perfect example of, this is a common narrative too. It's not just a Fennec thing. I mean, it happened with the Trevor Daly thing. This is something we see again and again, that the veteran guy, and he's going to rally the troops and show his bling on his ring and it's going to mean anything. It doesn't mean anything, people. Okay, don't don't let people convince you otherwise. And if you get any athlete in a, with a beer in their hand at a bar, they'll laugh at this stuff. Okay, and I know Shane Green had a little quote about, yeah, he showed me the routine. What's the guy going to say? He's asked the question. This is the false narratives that we are going to fight here every week. This isn't a big deal, but it's a little thing. Fennec, Fennec is going to be a regular on this. I, there's no way to avoid it. You know, I wish I could. So that, that's pretty much it. That's all I have for today, the first ever episode of the Spiro Avenue podcast. We're looking probably three or four days to do another show. We're going to start having uh, some guests here. It's going to be, I would say, probably more often than not, we'll have some guests for about a 10-minute segment. Uh, but I did want to set the table here just myself. I wanted to hog the mic a little bit. And uh, I will conclude by saying thank you to my producer sitting just to my right here, Jed Schilling, who is a real swell guy and knows a lot more about the tech than I do. So thank you so much for, for being here, Jed, and, and we love having you. And, uh, again, I will recommend that you go to SpiroAvenue.com. This podcast will be up shortly, and uh, we will have follow-ups to the Illich story, I'm sure, soon, and other things going on in the Detroit media and in the, in the sports world. So thank you again for joining us. Great to have you, and we'll see you next time.